This episode of Happy, Sad, Confused is brought to you by the Carnivore Club, an awesome subscription box for meat lovers. Each month, Carnivore Club delivers amazing quality cured meats to your door, made by America's best artisans. This Christmas, gift Carnivore Club to your meat-loving spouse, family member, or customer. The number of boxes you wish to gift can be customized from 1 to 12 months. Get unique finds like duck, venison, and wild boar salami, alongside classics like prosciutto and kappa, all made by independent American craftsmen. This month's feature is California's Angel Salumi, and you can get $10 off a gift or subscription when you enter the promo code HAPPY at checkout. Visit www.carnivoreclub.co to satisfy your inner carnivore. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz. This is a podcast. You listen with your ears. You use your mind to engage it. And that's pretty much the only body parts you need to employ while and listening to this podcast. You, oh, really? You think so, Sammy? Yeah, you Sa- need your, your heart to absorb it. Yeah, we're going to touch you today in, in just the right spot in, the, in your heart because we have a lovely conversation with a... Um, a great filmmaker. Ron Howard is the guest on this week's Happy Sack Confused, uh, continuing our, our very uh, successful run of fantastic filmmakers this fall, uh, following in the heels of you know Danny Boyle and Guillermo del Toro. Ron Howard. Ron Howard means a lot to me, Sam. Ron Howard is huge. This is also, as I note in the conversation, this is Happy Sack Confused history, first father-daughter combo ever on the Happy Sack Confused no podcast. Way. Bryce was a guest. Couldn't have been better. And um, Ron is great. I mean, he's got he's got like one of those like crazy nice reputations, like and justifiably so. He's just absurdly well adjusted for somebody that grew up like you know was a famous person from the time he was probably ten on Andy Griffith, and then seamlessly transferred into a successful directing career. Um, but yeah, a narrating career. Now, oh, man, we, didn't even, we didn't even get into Arrested Development. I, I regret that so much, but um, it was still fun to like get into a bunch of movies. I mean, particularly like when I was growing up, like there was like that. I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of Willow talk on this episode. <laughs> Which I do not apologize for. Um, there's actually uh, Ron posted a. Uh, he insisted on taking a photo um, that he has since posted on Twitter of me and him and the Willow comic book I have hanging over my desk. Um, so I'm looking at it. Yeah, it's real. And now he he signed it along with Val Kilmer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, I mean, but yeah, Willow and Backdraft and of course Apollo 13 going way back. Night Shift. I mean, Beautiful the, Mind. Beautiful Mind. Yeah, but I, I when I think of Ron, I think of those like those earlier films that really hit me at the right time but yes he's still what's cool about him is he 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 has such a diverse resume rush was his last film which was really good starring chris hemsworth and he's got another film with chris hemsworth he just directed called in the heart of the sea which is this like very ambitious intense drama um based on the story that inspired moby dick so a real spectacle as we talk about it's the kind of film you want to see on the big screen because it's um it's just big in every way. He 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 vows. That, I didn't see it in 3D, but he says the 3D conversion is awesome. And um, I was going to say, it sounds like a, an IMAX 3D movie. Yeah, I think it's I think it's one. If you're gonna, if you're interested at all, I think this is the one to see on the big screen. And um, Hemsworth, of course, always good, really good ensemble. Killian Murphy, who's always great, etc. That opens. I thought it was Cillian. No, Sorry, I think it's. I'm pretty sure it's Killian. Wow. I mean, I'm definitely wrong, but I just no, you're always... not definitely, but 92 percent sure. Um, but yeah, it opens, I believe, December 11th. So this is an early sneak peek, an early tease of that one. So uh, plan to check out Ron's latest. Um, as I said, we talk about a lot of stuff, cover a lot of his career on this. And um, it's a good one. It was very yeah. exciting when Ron Howard came in, because obviously everybody here is a fan. And little behind the scenes, he like stuck around for a couple hours to right. do interviews in one of the rooms here. Yeah. So just to give a little context, Josh has this sign on his door that looks like what a teenager writes to his parents that's like how I write. keep out that's my handwriting <laughs> so it's like literally like scribble like shooting don't come in here but then the room that ron was in uh, had a printed really? reserved sign I need on to it. talk to someone i need to no, get i'm just saying like you knew he was really vip in there because i thought <laughs> if we took you... the trouble of printing something yeah, out i thought yeah. you did it it's big time what can i say yeah well one day if maybe if you direct 15 very successful films you're going to get a printout something, i don't know i could never 
inspired to a printed sign. Um, but no, really uh, thrilled that um, we knocked that one off the list. He was definitely somebody that I'd always wanted to talk to at length, and he's already got another film in the can, the third in the um, Dan Brown trilogy, another Tom Hanks collaboration. I'm sure that's going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and forget, I mean, also, I mean, Imagine Entertainment he created. I mean, there were so much more we could have addressed, but um, we did cover a lot. So In part two. You know, you never sure. know. I haven't decided yet. Like, as you, as you may or may not have noticed, we haven't had a returning guest yet. It's been about probably a year or 18 months since we started the show. And um, I've just, you know, I, right now I don't want to do returning guests just because there's so many people and... Um, yeah, but someone like, like a Ron Howard could warrant a Well, I mean, of course. Like, I, there's a thousand more things. I mean, I would talk to Ron's Woody Allen five more times. and be like, I want to come back on. And it's you're like, sorry, decision. Ron. It's going to be a big decision. We we'll only see. do one time only on Happy you, Side Confused. Well, that's the... Oh, you go, look, two of two of my touchstones for the podcast, uh, podcast that I enjoy in, in the interview space, go different routes. You have, you have your Mark Maron, mm-hmm. who does, does not do returning guests. Mm-hmm. Although now he does them sometimes on the intros. He does, like, people calling in. But then you do Nerdist, and they, they'll just do them six seven times so i don't know you for now in the marin camp carve your own path exactly be exactly your own, be your own man um i'm trying uh let's see what else to cover um if you haven't checked it out we did a bunch of uh coverage on mocking jay of course which is now out in theaters making a gajillion dollars got a chance to catch up with the cast one more time before it all ended and um it was a crazy night if you haven't um happen to see the video we posted uh, or the many photos that emerged um i did the their last red carpet was in new york and i had the silly uh idea to offer them shots of um bourbon kentucky bourbon in honor jessica or rather jennifer and josh are both from kentucky uh to do shots so what ended up happening was i did basically about eight or nine shots depending on how you count them uh with the cast eight and a half yeah eight and a half uh, in the course of about 90 minutes and i'm i'm still alive guys if i really honest to god when i saw this happening i really thought you were you weren't gonna make it it's a miracle because okay first of all it's adrenaline let's just say drink responsibly guys drink if you're of age do not drink to excess Mm -hmm. don't do as i do because it was an anomaly i have no tolerance i get drunk on like two glasses of wine i'm a pure lightweight so i don't know what happened but it was fine. I did not get sick. And I had like, a, we, I saw you the next day, and you were like, was okay. okay. I had a and delicious a little, bagel the next glassy, morning. But. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I always am. Right. But um, the video is pretty special. It's really funny. It's only, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm playing it up a little bit, but not that much. No, I was, you're not playing it up at all. It is amazing. <laughs> Everyone watch it. And my favorite part of this yeah. whole thing is how other outlets have picked it up, and they're calling Josh the silly reporter in the party hat. <laughs> <laughs> there is there was a great story because we were right next to the photographer pen um, uh, of like you know the, like the photographers um, they all were bunched together and they were right next to us so they were thrilled when they saw what I was doing on the carpet they had a great vantage point and there was I think a story in like the Daily Mirror online that had the whole narrative of the night it was like first Josh Hutcherson did a shot and then it was like the last photo was like Liam Hemsworth sniffed the shot suspiciously <laughs> as the reporter by now wearing a party hat <laughs> donning a silly party <laughs> Yeah, so watch the video. It's on MTV's YouTube page. Um, I'm not sure if I'm proud of it, but it's it's something that's... Um, I don't know if you should be proud of it, but everyone should watch you it. You should watch it just to see what, what liquor can do to a man. It is. Oh, it's just the progression of it. Just watch his eyes, oh my everyone. God. Um, not much more to say, except uh, if you're hearing this before Thanksgiving, have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah. Sammy, Where, what are you doing for this? I'm going to do a little bit with the, with the fam, a little bit with the in-laws. We mix it up a little mm-hmm. bit. There'll be turkey consumed, too much pie. Hoping for some pumpkin pie. I'm a pumpkin enthusiast. Are you? Oh yeah, big time. What's your What's Do your you Thanksgiving just... dish of choice? Um, great question. Thank you. Uh, stuffing. Yeah. I think I go stuffing. I I, I don't like mushrooms, and sometimes stuffing has mushrooms in it. So I have to you be really can pick them out. They're no, big. No, no, no. What are you talking oh. about? I'm not gonna. It's infected the whole thing. It's over. Yeah, but they don't really taste like anything. Well, so it's that's so. a psychological problem. I understand. That's um, one of many. <laughs> One of many. <laughs> One of my top 50 psychological problems. But Thanksgiving is my favorite meal, so I am very excited. I feel like Thanksgiving is for lightweights. I eat like that like, like every day. Like I mean, I don't need like Thanksgiving as an excuse to eat like to an absurd level. No, but there have been Thanksgivings in my life where, and my some of my friends know this about me, where I've vomited. Right. And then just got right back oh in the God. game. <laughs> what time do you start your Thanksgiving meal? Are you like do? You... Well, it used to be like a solid. 
probably six six thirty. Right but now, there's a bunch of little kids in yeah. my family. It screwed everything up. Now yeah. we're eating at like four thirty. Yeah, I, I, I'm. We're, I, it's interesting. You're, your family's somewhere in mind that we don't eat super early, but like my in laws, like they tend to have like their holiday meals, and it like starts at like one o'clock. No. And I'm like, what's happening? I I'm don't... sleeping by five o'clock. Exactly. Then. Okay. This is why you're welcome on the intro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's I think all there is to say. Except again, have a great holiday, guys. We'll see you on the other side and uh, enjoy this conversation with uh, one of the best directors in the business. Simply put. Uh, Ron Howard. Nope. nope. <laughs> Never again. Never again. <laughs> this is this is a historic moment for this podcast. This is the first father daughter combo to ever actually have appeared on Happy Sad Confused. Is that right? Bryce was here. Uh, a lot of fun. It, well, she is fun. She is fun. <laughs> and uh, I'm. I'm uh, am I? Am I safe to? Uh, am I walking into any? Uh, I was going to say any propellers there. Well, I'm, 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 I'm. Yes, she did not betray any confidences that I know of. Um, <laughs> and it was a very pleasant chat. And uh, no, I'm honestly, th- it's thrilling to have you here. I'm Thank such you. a fan of your work, and uh, this new film is a hell of an accomplishment. It's. Uh, Thanks. It's it's one of those movies where like I'm watching it, and it's like. How does one even, you know, it just boggles the mind how one even begins to tackle uh, something of this magnitude and scale and, and all of it. Well, it's, thank you. You know, it, it, interesting thing happened uh, just last week. Um, you know, we finished the movie. It was supposed to go out last March. And then we had our test screenings. Right. And then Warner Brothers decided, you know, we don't have a movie at Christmas. Let, let's let's put it out at Christmas. Audiences respond to this movie well. And let's try it. So that um, delay is unusual for me. My editor, Dan Hanley, and I saw the movie again last week because we were reviewing the 3D print, uh, and which was really, I'm so glad we, we took the time to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a great way. If you like 3D, it's, a, it's actually a really good way to experience the movie. I was very excited about it creatively. But we looked at each other having some distance on it, you know, and yeah. said, how do we do that? Uh, <laughs> because, you know, from a standpoint of um, the total... The total challenge, the the technical, the physical, um, the sort of the mental, the 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 the, the challenge for the actors, the um, the various themes, because it's pretty dense. It's a simple story, overarching story, and then yeah. underneath there are these 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 themes which are, which are which are, I think, very cool and interesting and emotional, but you know a little complicated. So I think it's the most challenging movie that I've ever directed. That's saying something. Looking at your body of work. To say, I mean, is there a correlation in your mind? I was wondering this when I was watching it. Like, it's a hell of a journey for an audience to go through. I mean, it's it's you're you're there with these guys in yeah. this in a hell of a predicament. Um, are you as the fire drill goes off? Of course, I have, of course, I have the director of backdraft to save me. So it's okay. We'll, we'll yeah, soldier we'll through. Right. Um, <laughs> go for the stairs. Is that what you learned? <laughs> and um, move quick. That fire does not fool around. That's that's what I learned. Well, I was going to say though, like, is is there a correlation in your mind between um, the subject matter and your own enjoyment of the process? Because this seems to be maybe a tough headspace for an actor to be in or a filmmaker. We talked a little bit about the challenges of the film. Are you enjoying yourself as much on something like this as parenthood or a dilemma, something a little lighter in its scope? There, there, it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of an enjoyment, you know, and I, and I had the back-to-back movies rush which was its own particular challenge and a kind of an adventure yeah. and then this one which was uh, you know different again but also a chance for me to really immerse myself in a very um, physical world a world i don't know that much about with with really a, a combination of of um, interesting character work which i do love uh and and then r- real logistical cinematic filmmaking challenges which uh which which i you know i also appreciated so it's incredibly gratifying to make a movie like this yeah. again i'm gonna go back to apollo 13 as a sort of a life experience or backdraft you mentioned you make those kinds of movies and you really feel like you've you've had a you've had an experience you'll never ever forget yeah. frost nixon beautiful mind parenthood equally significant to me um and really focused because it's all about probably the thing that I love the most, which is characters 
giving us surprising, relatable, sure. interesting performances and, and uh, conveying something to, a, to an audience. So they're just really two different yeah. kinds of, of challenges. But it's been a great few years with Rush into In the Heart of the Sea. I, and I, you know, coincidentally or, or, uh, or not so coincidentally, Chris Hemsworth's involved in both and at the center of both. But, uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's been, um, I'm, I'm really grateful to have had both those experiences. When you talk about Hemsworth, who uh, I'm such a fan of both uh, on a professional and personal level, I, there's not a nicer guy out there. And, and you, you know, you've, you've worked with many actors repeatedly. And, and as you mentioned, Chris, twice in a row. And I feel what's unique about this collaboration with Chris is maybe you're seeing something that other people aren't seeing in him. You, were, were, you know, we're used to seeing him, you know, obviously in the superhero films, et cetera. Um, but these are leading man roles, but these are also character roles. These are, these are interesting, flawed guys. Well, he really won the role in Rush with his audition. So I had met him. I, I, I found him to be very charismatic in both Star Trek and then yeah. again in Thor. No, I had no idea about his range. Uh, and he, he submitted uh, this audition a very interesting, revealing, complicated kind of James Hunt moment from sure. from the script of of of, um, of Rush. Excellent accent, nailed it. And um, Peter Morgan, who wrote Rush and and is very discerning, and I just looked and said, "Well, there's there's our James Hunt." Yeah. So I know him, you know, as a fan. Yes, I've seen him in these in these in these big giant popcorn sure. movies, and he's really effective, but. You know, I know him as the guy who proved to me he's got the chops to be James Hunt, then really delivered, and then turned around and once again offered a very different kind of character, but dug deep, did everything he had to do physically and mentally um, and creatively to uh, take us on this this journey with his character in In the Heart of the Sea, which is, you know, the most complex of the journeys of any of the characters who who go through the film. The... um Again, talking about some of the hardships of a film like this, I mean, everybody knows, if you're a film fan, legends of all these films that have been made on water. Yeah. This is like as hard as you get. It's just yeah. there's so many factors that are out of your control, and it's, it's, right. just, it's just downright tough filmmaking. You've, on the flip side, like you, we talked about Backdraft, which is such a great film. I mean, it's, it's, it's a film that... I mean, did you find that there were there were analogies to make? You're dealing with two different elemental forces kind of out of your control. When I, when I got into it... I, I I began to draw those comparisons between Backdraft, also Apollo thirteen with the weightlessness, where, which sure. we shot in camera, and um, and and really sort of you know created an environment um, for the actors that you know allowed the allowed them to 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 I don't know to just be as authentic and as as in the moment as sure. as as possible, and we certainly had that with the ocean now. We were also on a, on on stages. We were on tanks. We had every trick to dump tanks, pouring <laughs> gallons, thousands of gallons of water on them, and hoses and all of that stuff. For anything that was really dangerous, like the whale attack, right. fire on board, um, you know, a storm, we had to do that stunt work on you know in a controlled environment. Everything else we did we did out in the ocean, and it, yeah, it was difficult, but. Uh, you know, and there were storms that came, and we had to get the hell out of there and and evacuate at one point, and you know, and so it was arduous, uh, uh, but it you know it did something important, which it offered this opportunity of real intimacy and connection with the reality of the story yeah. that benefited the actors, and I think it 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 also imposed a style of shooting which is very intimate right in the boats with them yeah. in the real environment capturing you know what it is that they're going through whether that's action or whether it's emotional anybody that's um, a fan or a student of your work knows i mean if you from the beginning have defied you know being put in a box you've like pretty much done every conceivable genre mm-hmm. i'm trying to, to rack my brain for like okay i guess there's not a musical in there yet and not, and not full-on horror not full-on horror. <laughs> a couple of scary moments but right. uh, you haven't yeah. done sci-fi i guess since, since maybe cocoon yeah we consider yeah. that but right. you've never gone like hard sci-fi no not, not yet um 
but it was how much of that was conscious? How much does that just reflect like your interest as a, as a, as a fan, as a filmmaker? Mm. Um, because you're in, you're in a rare spot. Mm. Not many people can say they have the kind of varied resume you have. Well, you know, I, as an actor, as a child actor and on into my early adulthood, I was on the TV series, whether it was uh, The Andy Griffith Show or then a show with Henry Fonda. Wait, you, were, you were an actor? <laughs> <laughs> Smith Family and then Happy Days. So for, from 1960, when I was six years old, to 1980, when I was 26 years old, I was I was under contract and doing a television series 17 and a half out of those 20 years. Yeah. So I would go do movies. I even began directing. But, you know, everything took a backseat to TV, which especially in 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 those decades, it was all about repeating basically the same set of ideas sure. and and scenes and you know moments that audiences were looking for over and over and over again yeah. and repackaging them. So when I realized I was going to have a career as a director, I knew that comedy was going to be the sort of the easiest path for me. Audiences and collaborators and studios would accept that most readily. But I loved all kinds of movies. Yeah. And I, I did not want to be typecast as a director. So early in my career, I I slowly but surely, without being so shocking that I would, you know, like, yeah. like um, you know, uh, doom a movie to being falsely judged based on, right. you know, on some kind of conscious career move on my part. Yeah. But I, I, I started moving toward you know, other genres and other tones. It was really when I did Apollo 13, which was based on real events, that had that scared me. I thought it would might limit my imagination, my ability to create, and in fact, I was wrong. It was a great um, box to be in and to a set of themes and ideas, many of which were so strange and so unlikely that you wouldn't put them in you wouldn't put it in fiction because no one would buy it. Yeah. It's part of the power of a true story is that it's extreme beyond what you can imagine people can in, can deal with and endure. So that was very liberating for me. And really the response, you know, that was nominated for a lot of Academy Awards and reviews were great. And I, I suddenly were get, was getting a lot of different kinds of scripts coming my way and other opportunities, other kinds of creative collaborations with great actors. And from that point forward, I stopped worrying about showcasing myself. Right. And I just began to choose movies that I was interested in and movies that I hoped, um, you know, would would feel original and, and for audiences. Movies that I would want to see sure. that didn't seem, look, sound like, you know, uh, everything else that was out there. Well, and there's no greater lesson than to see, like, your, your greatest, you know, critical success, obviously the one that won the Oscar, A Beautiful Mind, on paper is not the movie that should be the box office yeah. and critical success that it was. Most of my of my really commercial movies outside of maybe Da Vinci Code and, and, and The Grinch mm -hmm. were movies that were really um, long shots. Even yeah. movies that made the top 10 in the box office their year or the top 20 were, were really didn't on paper seem like they were very commercial. And, and uh, uh, so I don't think about that too much. Yeah. I, I think about whether I believe the story has something for for an audience. I like I like trying to make movies for for a, a broad audience that appeals to me. It's kind of my sensibility anyway. Right. Um, Brian Grazer, my partner at Imagine, has been for almost thirty years. He's he's much better at marketing. He has he's great with concepts. He understands. You know, Splash was his idea for right. a movie. You know, he so was Eight Mile. I mean, he just he has, can see the poster. He can he, see the yeah, yeah, and and you know, he still wants it to have you know themes that mean something and resonate and ideas that 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 make a point and so forth but he he's greater uh, sort of a in, intuition about that i i have a sense of whether a story can surprise an audience whether it has reach whether you know i can create i can bring something of myself to to a movie that um, that has a chance maybe to surprise people a little bit. I think that's what I really look for. Well, I'm curious, what was the biggest, and I don't mean disagreement in a way of like a shouting match, but in terms of like that conversation you were just talking about, where maybe Brian didn't see the commercial viability, maybe he supported your vision, but said, Ron, buddy, this is never going to sell any tickets. <laughs> were the, were, have the, that must have happened at various points. Has there been one film that was contentious in that way? There, you know, unfortunately, he's been right more than he's wrong. <laughs> uh, so I can't think of a situation where he said, I don't know, I don't, 
you know, I I, I wouldn't do I, I, that. That one's going to be a rough one to market. Yeah. And then it turned out he was wrong. In fact, there have been times where I thought that right. and he was right. Like he believed fully in Apollo 13. He yeah. believed fully in a beautiful mind as uh, movies that that could reach an audience as yeah. well as as be, you know, have value, um, uh, you know, as as, um, as as great stories. And uh, he, you know, he was right. He's got a, he's got a good nose uh, for it. But but he was always supportive of me. And, and uh, you know, he was very supportive of 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 movies that that um you know like the paper or mm-hmm. rush or um the missing which are, are movies that i'm very very proud of and um you know and they and they they and they were well reviewed and audiences liked them but they didn't ever they didn't ever have that kind of broad appeal to break out sure like eight mile or beautiful mind Time for a message from one of our sponsors. Meet the Kalebgeons. This Armenian family will entertain you with an excellent cup of coffee. Master Roaster Henry has earned his title by personally roasting coffee in San Francisco for six days a week for over 30 years. He learned the art from his father, who taught him how to turn the coffee roasting drum when he was just a young boy. Today, Henry's son, Hrog, is just as passionate about serving you the perfect cup of joe that will excite your taste buds. Clearly, coffee isn't just a business for the Kaleb. It's in their lineage. With every sip of Henry's House of Coffee, you're doing more than just curbing your caffeine fix. You're entering a new family. Experience what three generations of coffee tastes like. Get the perfect roast delivered right to your doorstep. Visit henryshouseofcoffee.com and enter promo code HAPPY to get free shipping. You have nothing to lose and a new coffee buzz to gain. What, what role did early on? I mean, one of one of the first, and at least in probably the fourth or fifth film, maybe third or fourth, was Willow, which hit me at the right time. Uh-huh. If you turn to your left, you'll see Ron. I have a Willow comic book. Yes. <laughs> oh my! That, that is did autographed. You, you put that for just for me? No, did you just bring it in today? That, I swear to God, that is. And if you look closely, it's autographed by Val. Wow. And he wrote Peck 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 on it, which <laughs> was the greatest moment of my yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That is great. Um, was Lucas? I mean, obviously Lucas had directed you, so. Yes. I mean, do you consider him an early mentor? Something yeah. that that really helped. I do. Get he's, you off the ground. Um, you know, he's 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 been probably the directorial um, mentor, uh, along with a couple of people who directed me when I was when I was young on TV shows, um, and my own father, who I watched directing theater. Right. But from a standpoint of um, of, of 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 my growing understanding of, of of like of the power of the medium and what else it could do besides yeah. offer great acting opportunities, well, that really came from from George. My experience acting for him on American Graffiti and seeing the detail and um, you know the the way he could create a, can- a canvas that that just had such density, you know. Yeah. And uh, and then Willow was his idea, right. and and uh, and working for him, you know, trying to tell a story that he that he believed in was, uh, you know, it was kind of like getting a PhD. I thought, you know, and um, um, my 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 doctoral prof was a pretty good one. Pretty good. <laughs> I mean, if you'll indulge me in talking a little bit about the process of making that, which I know you've talked about before in kind of the same terms you just put, in that, you know, maybe less ownership over that because you are playing in that guy's sandbox in, in George's amazing yeah. imagination. But it, stri- it strikes me especially like, and this is stuff that I didn't realize till years later, like, I wa- you know, I've, in recent years I, I see it and I see it's like, oh, that's, there's a lot of Lord of the Rings in there. There's a lot of Star Wars archetypes yeah. in there. Was that stuff that you guys talked about in terms of what the reference points were or what you were trying to the 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 biggest influence was joseph campbell Mm. and at one point joseph campbell and his wife when they were both still alive uh actually paid a visit to um to the ranch uh, you know skywalker ranch and the writer of willow bob dolman and myself happened to be there working and we had this fantastic dinner with george um, and uh, the Campbells, Mr. and Mrs. Campbell, and and Bob Dolman and I wound up telling the story. And Joseph Campbell was so he was getting a huge kick out of it, but he kept telling us the this, the roots 
mm-hmm. um, of, uh, of of the of the of the mythology right. that we were tapping into. Well, you didn't and, even realize that you were tapping into. <laughs> I think George had a better sense than we did, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so you know, I definitely was you know just as Star Wars was was and Lord of the Rings were. You know, influenced, influenced yep. by uh, by those ideas and those traditions. So so was Willow, and uh, and yeah, Willow is you know I probably it's my least personal movie. I really was trying to do a job for George. He was financing that movie himself, yeah. and and um, and really doing it like an indie, uh, which yeah. people don't realize. Uh, even those even the prequels, he essentially self financed. I mean, I think to a degree. Yes, he did. Right? Yeah, he's always been a maverick. And uh, in, in in a lot of ways, and um, and somebody who just you know he's a lateral thinker. He he just we he. But it's interesting, and I I applied this what I had observed about George too in the heart of the sea, and in, in an important way, he takes very classic ideas, yeah. and and then he he's able to apply this lateral thinking and, and say, well, how how can we how what else can yeah. we how do we present this? What else can we do? How do we use movie technology to uh, to go deeper, offer audiences more, um, and and do the things that you know if if um, if they could have been done before, somebody would have, but sure. they couldn't. Now they can be, um, and still stay with the essence of of the the story the classic nature of the story so with in the heart of the sea i really wanted that there are a lot of contemporary subtle contemporary themes that are so relatable about the story it surprised me when i read it sure and uh and yet there's also this bedrock kind of classic story of 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 going to sea and 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 nature um you know turning on on uh the the on the whalers um, you know, and these are the these is what attracted Herman Melville yeah. uh, to the story of the Essex when he wrote Moby Dick. Um, uh, I think those elements attracted me, but I wanted to present them in a re- as modern a way as I possibly could. Right. So, I was borrowing a little bit from George's inspiration about how do you tell a classic story, but graft on preserve that, yeah, 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 but make it a modern movie experience for totally. audiences. Did Did he ever? It, 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 it wouldn't surprise me to, to think that he talked to you at some point about helming a Star Wars movie. Did you talk about the prequels or anything? He did. Yeah. He did. He he didn't necessarily want to direct them. Yeah. And uh, he he told me that he had talked to um, Zemeckis. He talked to me. He talked to Steven Spielberg. And and he said we. I was the third when he spoke to you. They'd all we, they'd all said the same thing. George, you should just do it. <laughs> this is your baby. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wanted to follow that act. I don't think at that point. But uh, um, you know, he. Uh, uh, I mean, that was a that was an honor, but it would have been too just yeah. too daunting. To, to use the, uh, the the Moby Dick analogy, do you have your own kind of like white whale of a project that, that that's eluded you? I mean, there's even news lately of Dark Tower, which keeps co- cropping up. Is that as close to you what you have in terms of something that's eluded you thus far? Well, Dark Tower is you know is something that we're um, uh, it's very promising. It's looking very promising, and I and uh, um, while uh, um, I'm not dire- I'm not going to be a director on it, um, and and I, I couldn't be given schedules and so forth, but um, um, you know, I, I'm going to remain a producer okay. with it if it goes. And uh, maybe, so maybe Mr. McConaughey or not, we don't know. We're we're hoping, yeah. you know. Uh, but there, but uh, it's a it's a really strong adaptation, um, and um, um, and you know, and it's we'll see if we finally get it over the goal line and and um, and get to make it. Is, is still the intent to kind of involve TV and film and kind of like overlap and have a little bit of mixed that's the mediums? Ambi- that's the uh, that's remains the ambition. I mean it's fascinating. Uh, it's a lofty one. It's we'll a lofty see. one, but it also feels like it is of our of our times. Yeah. It's like it couldn't have happened 10 years ago clearly, but it's yeah. it seems uh-huh. like someone's going to make that leap. Why not I think, this? Yeah, I I I uh, I agree and we and we still have all those hopes, but I just can't I want to be careful. I can you know, I'm, I I can't say anything definitive because sure. because it's, you know, it doesn't have that green light, but it has a lot of a lot of energy. Um, people who care about it, yeah. um, uh, production companies involved that are that are making it a, a major priority, and mm-hmm. I hope it comes together. Are, are there are there tough films of your own that are, or rather, are there films of your own that are tough for you to watch at this point in your career? That that just for whatever reason, the baggage, the the nature of the shoot, mistakes that you look back in retrospect. What are the ones that are tougher for you to to reflect on or look at? I don't really watch them. Mm-hmm. I don't really watch them, and but when I do, 
I, if I bump into something on TV and watch a few minutes, or if I go back and do a DVD extras, right. you know, 20th anniversary um, uh, re-release or something like that, um, I'm 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 uh, critical, but I'm. Um, but I'm kind to myself, mm-hmm. and I, I mostly appreciate what we achieved. Um, and uh, and and I, you know, I acknowledge with a little more perspective, you know, some some um, some areas of, of many, almost all of the movies, right? Where I, you know, I wish I had it to do over again, and uh, and I I think that I think that's natural, you know. The, most movies aren't ever finished; they're just finally taken away and released, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, left to our own devices. We could keep tweaking and think, rethinking, and you know, most directors could go on almost forever. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, there are uh, um, there. I feel I've I feel um, more frustration over movies that I I'm really really proud of that have a, a great following now right but they sort of weren't seen on the big screen as much as i would have liked is that what's in that is that the missing is that uh, yeah uh, the missing would be one of those the rush definitely would be one of yeah. those which everybody that saw loved it just not enough people saw it well they, 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 <laughs> a lot of them have seen it now yeah and uh and i wish they could have really seen it you know with the way yes. the, the way it was is at its most effective and by the way uh i mean here i am marketing in the heart of the sea but i feel very much the same way about in the heart of the sea this is a theater I, I experience really is yeah you know, shaped to be an experience, and especially now, if if you're into 3D, uh, it wasn't shot; it was converted. But the conversion technology has gotten to be so good, and I think because we didn't shoot it for 3D, there are actually some things that are a, a little unusual and kind of cool yeah. um, about the about the 3D version. So if you're into it, you know, I'd really recommend it. If not, you know, it was designed to 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 be a you know uh, a very effective uh, you know 2D experience as well and you're someone that that going back i mean i remember i have vivid memories when i was um God, I must have been probably 15 or 16 at the time when, when Far and Away came out. And you shot that, if, correct me if I'm wrong, what, 65, 70 millimeter? millimeter, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. was very rare yeah. uh, at the time. I remember <laughs> seeing it at the Ziegfeld here in New York. Yeah. As it, and it was just yeah. glorious to well, see that kind of I loved, scope. I love making that movie. And, and that was one that um, the, our test audiences were just great. I mean, the scores were as high as like Parenthood or, right. or you know, one of those kind of crowd pleasers. And the critics were so hard on Far and Away. And I, you know, I, who knows why? I, I really, I, I never asked any of them. <laughs> it was a very earnest <laughs> film. And maybe that's where, you know, critics tend to be a little bit more of the cynical stripe. Maybe. Uh, you know, I think, I think they, they, you know, were always, um, you know, um, throw a little extra scrutiny on a big movie star doing an accent. I think right. they're always, and by the way, you know, and, and his, his uh, uh, Tom worked so hard uh, on that and it was great to work with Tom Cruise and I thought did really well with it and so did everybody in Ireland who was there when we were shooting it. Yeah. So, uh, I think maybe in some ways putting it on 65 and then having it be really a, almost um, almost like a romantic road picture. I, I, I always felt like it was it was kind of it was it was it was sort of uh, like Frank Capra's "It Happened One Night" mm-hmm. with the scope and scale of a John Ford right. movie, you know, which is kind of a crazy mashup. Yeah. And um, but audiences went for it uh, if they saw it, and 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 I think with the '65, I think maybe some critics felt like, well, um, Ron Howard thinks this is he's making a very serious epic here, right? Right. And it's and it's it is young, it is earnest, it is romantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe there was a little confusion there, or you know who knows. But but uh, uh, what a fantastic life experience it was making. Can only imagine. Movie. Yeah. When you um, we we talked a little bit about the kind of the the genre hopping that, that you've done. Um, and I know this isn't how a filmmaker necessarily works. Like, okay, I need to check off the next box. When's right. my my musical or whatever. <laughs> that being said, is there like a hankering to do like to? I mean, is is there something that you are a, a fan of that you're surprised you haven't tackled yet at this point in your career? Well, I'm there. There, I would, I would make a the right a particular kind of sort of horror film if it if it was um um grounded in in uh, sort of some personal uh journey mm. or, or or um experience and uh um without giving away too much I just finished shooting 
um, Inferno, which is right. the third of the of the um, Da Vinci Code. Dan Brown, sure. Uh, Tom Hanks has Robert Langdon um, movies, and because if you if anyone who's read the book, he Langdon himself is um, in a highly pressurized situation where he's not entirely sure. Um, he doesn't have all of his um, his um, uh, intellectual tools at his disposal right. for a set of reasons, and which are sort of part of the mystery. <clears throat> but it allowed between Dante um, and the and the images of hell yeah. and and Langdon's um, sort of struggle to understand the truth of this story and to follow this clue path. Um, and, and the sort of personal nature of what he's going through, it allowed me to to sort of stick my toe into horror right. a little bit. Uh, it was really uh, interesting to do. I mean, talk about that collaboration, which obviously has been a fruitful one between you and Tom over the years, and we you know, referenced Chris in recent years. Um, I want to talk a little bit about casting over the years because it's it's a it's a fine art and it can make or break a film and, and arguably ninety nine percent of the time you've gotten it right. What, have there been tough arguments whether with a studio or whatever like one that almost didn't get through that you had to really push through well when we when we cast tom hanks in apollo 13 strangely enough it was a little controversial really? because he hadn't really philadelphia hadn't been seen yet okay nor forrest gump um and um brian grazer completely believed in tom for it i did too um uh, J- Jim Lovell had 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 really wanted Kevin Costner to do it, and they looked a lot alike, you know, in, sure. in reality. The studio wanted us to go in a in a more um, straightforward, um, you know, action hero um, sort of direction. Yeah. And there were you know a number of, a number of candidates, um, but Tom was so passionate about the space program and so articulate about this story that I felt like he was not only not only very capable of, of being great in it, um, but would actually be a, a, a kind of a creative X factor. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved what he had to say about it and, and really, you know, wanted to bring him in as a collaborator. So some of also, and that, I would consider that film as much as it is a star vehicle, it's an ensemble too. Um, when I think of ensembles in your films, I think of parenthood and the... I mean, again, on paper, I wonder how that cast came together because it's just—it's kind of an odd when you think of Robards. You think of Tom Hulse, who was just awesome in it, so fantastic <laughs> at it. Keanu, who we'd never seen in that kind of context. Yeah. Now Joaquin, you know, yeah. et cetera. Um, well, it was a great script by yeah. by, by Gans and Mandel sure. to start with, and 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 they were really at the height of their power and prestige with, you know, League of Their Own and. Splash and Night Shift and and you know and and just you know and City Slickers and movies like that yeah <clears throat> and but the script just spoke to these to these actors but it was a it was a a long uh, thoughtful process yeah. a lot of people that we wanted t- turned it down um and uh, um and in in retrospect it's one of those things where I'm you know I'm so grateful because just exactly the right group came together but. And they all there was, be on the same page, that same tone, which is a fine tone to achieve in something like that. That was really my job. Yeah. To because Gans and Mandel's writing can sometimes come off a little bit like TV. Right. And people can mistake those joke rhythms um, as as um, as is suggesting a, a a bigger tone. Yeah. And um, because I knew them so well, uh, and and we'd collaborated so closely on this on this script, you know, I was able to. Um, you know, I kept citing. I kept saying, "This is this is more this is more Woody Allen." This, mm-hmm. it's, yes, it's funny, but it's you know it's meant to be real. Think yeah. think of Diner. You know, um, uh, the Barry Levinson movie, um, and and so I, I was able to still we were could still get all those jokes. And Gans and Mandel, you know, they they agreed entirely, sure. and were there through the rehearsal process to encourage this sort of thing. And uh, so you know, people were able to find the the real rhythms um and create their own personal connections to those characters and what they had to say and do and still get those laughs across right but i'm not sure that movie would be made today because i think that script would be thought uh, to be too dark to be a comedy uh and um not to mention that that that's that gray zone of like what is that a today it's a 40 50 million dollar movie that's a dramedy like how many of those are made period yeah well you wouldn't you wouldn't get that kind of budget to to make it and uh um 
Um, but uh, you know, I I think uh, it it's movie. You know, yes, it's a tough market, and and um, harder than ever to get people to actually go to the movies. Absolutely, and I think that that makes us better. It's competitive. Television is fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I love what's going on in TV, and I imagine our company. You know, we're right we're right in the middle of all of that, and 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 loving this this um, you know this incredible um, resurgence of TV as a as a creative um, engine, really. For for but but I wonder. Yeah, can that be applied to film? Because I wonder if there's any you know putting the genie back in the bottle of like, can we go back now well, to a time where there are those mid range dramas and dramedies, et cetera, that our studios can make at least. There's there's never there's never any going back, and audiences always decide because it is a. You know, a product of the free market. Yeah. You know, there's nobody up there pulling strings and saying, "Here's what they need to see sure. or go to." Um, um, the audience decides when and how and what they want to what they want to see and 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 what they want to support. But more and more interesting movies are getting made. Now they may not all be getting done at the studios. Yeah. The studios. In fact, I'm I'm so proud of. Warner Brothers, and I'm 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 rooting for in the heart of the sea, not only for my own out of self interest, but but also because you know it's a pretty risky movie for a studio to do. Yeah. It's it's uh, in a competitive marketplace. Yeah, it's an adventure movie. It's thrilling. It's visual, but you know it's it's not a straight ahead. It's not straight ahead escapism. Right. It's thought provoking. You know, um, uh, which is one of the reasons I was very glad they moved it into. Um, the, the 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 winter and the fall the fourth quarter because I think I think people's sensibilities yeah we're, sort we're, of our expand. brains are more attuned to a little uh, thought in yeah, the theater than, I think right? so but uh, you know as a creative person I'm I'm encouraged by the the number of of really interesting movies that are getting made and all it's doing to the creative community is sort of saying how much do you love this yeah you know you're this is not going to be the movie that you're going to retire on right but but you know but we can help you get it made are you ready to to give it two years to this sub to this this story and this subject and so as a result the movies that are getting through the dramas that are getting made are pretty damn good true and and personal and um you know i think audiences are, are going to respond to that and look we all want everything to be seen on the big screen yeah but the important thing is get it out there and get it seen well, and it also, I think, raises the game of the blockbusters, too, as we've seen. I mean, arguably one of my favorite movies of the year is, is I keep talking about it, is Mad Max. What George mm -hmm. Miller did on that is astounding. Yeah. Um, and the superhero films. I'm kind of surprised. Like, have you been tempted to do one of those? I'm sure they've, they've offered you some I, at some I, point. I've had opportunities over the years. And, and you know, I really feel like that you, you can't, you shouldn't make a movie as a kind of a, an exercise yeah. as, a, as an intellectual the heart and the brain have to be all the way in i think know. so and i was never a comic book guy i really? i like i like the movies when i see them for the most part especially the origin stories yeah. but i didn't feel i would be on the set i never felt that i could be on the set at three o'clock in the morning tired with 10 important decisions to make and that i would intuitively on a gut level know what the story needs right it's a different it's a little bit different tone and um, now my daughter Bryce, my daughter Bryce gets it. She loves being in Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, and it's, a, it's another tone that she totally, and she adores it. Yeah. But, um, um, you know, Hemsworth understands it and likes it, you know, and understands how you communicate within that, that kind of tone. But for me, I, I'd, I'd be copycatting right. and not inventing. And I think, um, you know, so I've just, I've just never, never um, said yes to one. Finally, Ron, this is a serious, important note. What's it going to take? I know it's the least personal of your films. Do we kickstart it? Do we revamp it? Do we do a sequel? Willow, the story's not over. There's, <laughs> there's more story to be told, Ron. And are you in or are you out? George and I have talked a little bit about it, and uh, now he's now he's kind of pulled away. So that's going to be up to Kathy Kennedy and, and Lucasfilm. Right, they own that. I would think. I mean, that's one of the... That's uh, There is a great love uh, of that for, of that franchise it's great and, and warwick davis who has remained a a, a close friend um i'm so proud of the career that he's had uh and you know and uh he, he 
It'd be great to see Grown Up Willow. Uh, <laughs> no, Val would do it. Oh, Val, you know, Val, Val, Matt Mardigan, Val would be fall there. Fall right back in. Val would be there. I, you know, I think I think we all would. Uh, <laughs> and um, and you know, maybe you're maybe you're maybe you're uh, maybe you're providing the spark okay, of, good. of a movement. <laughs> My God, there would be no greater legacy that I could give <laughs> to will that into existence. No pun intended. Uh, um, Ron, congratulations on the film. I mean, as I said, this is uh, it's a hell of an achievement Thank for any you. filmmaker, and it's it's inspiring to see you continue to push yourself and someone that doesn't need to. You've done enough, but you continue to, to push yourself, and I'm sure you will for years to come. I know your your dad is working oh, yeah, as, still as much as, as anyone in his late 80s. So, uh, 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 well, thank you. It's, I, look, I, I re, I'm I'm excited about it, and as long as I can keep finding stories that I'm you know sort of eager to share, yeah. Um, and you know, it's uh, it, that'll that'll keep me keep me in it. There you go. Okay, I'll see you on the next one. Thank Thanks, you, Ron. Take care. Before we go, a special message from one of our sponsors. Meet the Kalebjian's three generations of coffee roasters. Master Roaster Henry has been roasting coffee in San Francisco for six days a week for over 30 years. His son, Prague, is equally passionate about serving you the perfect cup of joe. Coffee is not just a business for the Kalebjian's. It's in their lineage. To experience the buzz, visit henryshouseofcoffee.com and enter the promo code HAPPY to get free shipping today. Guys, you have nothing to lose and a new coffee obsession to gain. They tricked me. Earwolf did a prank on me. Hi, I'm Sean Clements. I do Hollywood Handbook. I'm one of the two hosts. And Hayes Davenport is probably the host you would like better, but I'm who's here today. Anyway, I made a promise to anyone who listened to one of these little inserts that they would not attach a clip of Hollywood Handbook because, of course, I think that it's actually kind of filthy and dirty for Earwolf to just take someone who is trying to listen to one show and force them to listen to a piece of another show. I just don't think that's, I didn't want them to put a clip in. I guess what I've learned is they did attach a clip and that I guess it was super funny and it made people want to check out the show because they picked like a really great part from one of our episodes. I wish they hadn't done that. They've promised to let me come in, correct the mistake by just saying we're never doing it again. And now when I stop talking, you're not going to hear a clip from Hollywood Handbook. You're just going to go either back to your show or you go listen to something else. If you decide to check us out because it's what you want, that's fine. But you're not going to get forced to listen to us. Bye. Laos is where Sriracha comes from, which is something that a lot of people haven't heard of yet. But I go wild for that stuff. I put it in oatmeal. I put it on hot I'll dogs. I'll put it on eggs. I put it I put it in uh cherry pie. I put it on on a fish. And I literally will eat it. Eat the eat whole it thing. After I've and I will eat the whole thing after I put sriracha. <laughs> <laughs> after I put sriracha on it. This has been a Wolf Pop production. Executive produced by Paul Shear, Adam Sachs, Chris Bannon, and Matt Gorley. For more information and content, visit wolfpop.com. <laughs>